This country is traumatized. My generals are begging me to occupy Cairo. Sharon is, a, is like a dog on the leash. If you do that, you'll be on your own. Israel's long-term interests will not be served by a fracturing of our relationship, Golda. Sadat has already agreed to the terms of the ceasefire. Oh, of course he has. He's on the brink of defeat. It will give him a chance to regroup. You are the only person in the world who could possibly understand what I'm going through. Yes, I know how you feel, but we need a ceasefire. I thought we were friends, Henry. We will always protect Israel. Like you did in 48? We had to get our weapons from Stalin. Stalin! Our survival is not in your gift. If we have to, we will fight alone. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of our podcast, Conversations with B'nai Brit. I'm CEO Dan Mariash. If you enjoy the show, subscribe to Conversations with B'nai Brith wherever you get your podcasts. And please rate us, too. We always appreciate the feedback. And of course, you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and like us on Facebook for all of our latest content. My guest today is Guy Nativ, the director of the deeply anticipated film Golda. The movie focuses on a short period in the tenure of Israel's first and only female prime minister, Golda Meir. It's 1973, inside the tense 19 days of the Yom Kippur War. Helen Mirren plays Golda Meir as she confronts the very real existential threats to Israel. Her actions and decisions during this time cloud her legacy. After the surprise attack on Israel during the holiest day of the Jewish year, Yom Kippur, it leaves her top military advisors asleep at the switch, taken by surprise and seemingly complacent. Israel native director Guy Nativ is an Academy Award-winning filmmaker. His first American short film, Skin, won the 2019 Academy Award for Best Live Action Short and played at more than 300 festivals around the world. He's only the second Israeli to win an Academy Award. The feature version of Skin premiered at the 2018 Toronto International Film Festival, where it won a Critics' Prize. He recently finished production on the historic project Tatami, a political sports thriller that he co-directed with Cannes Best Actress winner Zar Amir Ebrahimi, marking the first cinematic collaboration between an Israeli and an Iranian director. In Israel, Gainativ wrote and directed three features. He now lives in Los Angeles with his wife, who was also his producing partner. Guy Nativ was an infant during the Yom Kippur War, but he carries deeply the impact it had on his family and on the country. Guy, welcome to the B'nai B'rith podcast. Thank you for being with us today. We know how busy you are getting the word out about this remarkable film and this important chapter in Israel's history. So thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. So the first question, I guess, is one that you get a lot, uh, but we have to ask the question, what was it that drew you to direct this film? Was it the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, uh, the subject herself, Golda Meir, one of modern Israel's greatest leaders, or both? Well, I, I was, I'm the, the, from the children of 73, I was born into this war. My mother um, actually ran to the shelter with me as a, as, a, as a baby. 
my father went to the war to fight the war and you know i grew up on on golda's story and then the war you know, the war um there's a famous song in israel uh we are the children of 73 you promised us dove with a um with a um olive leaf and and there wasn't there's nothing nothing happened you know you promised us peace you promised us there will be no war when we grow up it's a very famous song so it's it's really reflect on my generation generation who grew up on on war stories of our fathers um and didn't know much about the war and about golda and i think it's only like 10 years ago that um all the protocols came from the agronauts committee from the war rooms from the um government meetings uh that we started to see a different narrative and secrets and and lies and stuff that came out and and that kind of a drove me to um vindicate golda from the 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 scapegoat scapegoat she was because they told her she was because of the she took the blame for everything she said it's on me she resigned but if you look at things if you look at the truth of it she was not the only one she relied on her commanders so um there's more to to one truth you know what i mean there's more to it and and i think it was a chance for us to get in under her skin and bring the the bits and pieces over of who golda was well helen mirren's uh, performance in the film is is simply golda brought back to us uh, she's compelling uh, she brings it all together golda's toughness her compassion her single mindedness when it comes to her leadership role as prime minister how does an actor prepare for a role like this where one must really get into the mind of the subject. Um, and is there new information from the archives that your research produced that enabled um, new insights to be worked into the role? Yeah, first of all, you have to be Helen Mirren and how she's, you know, she's a brilliant actress of our, one of the best of our times. Um, she's a legend. Uh, so I wouldn't expect less of her of doing like magic with this, but also she, she did her research. She did her, uh, a lot of work, um, physical and mental work to become, become Golda. You'll have to ask her more about that because it was her own private process in a way. But I can tell you one thing. When she got, got into this trailer at 4.30 a.m. and got out at 7.30, she was completely Golda. The way she walked, the way she talked, the way she was, everything, every bits and piece, every nuke and cranny was Golda in her. So I give her a lot of respect uh, for dedicating herself and waking up at 4 a.m., going back to her hotel after we all finished already shooting she took all those prosthetics and and you know she gave a lot she read books and by the way she was also very attached to israel because she was 29 when she toured the country and and you know um volunteered in kibbutz haon picking picking uh, tomatoes um after the six-day war and she she slept on on a lot beach and you know and just she was she was she had this kind of a romantic, romantic um, history with Israel, in a way. Well, Golda Meir became prime minister in March of 1969. Uh, so by October 6, 1973, when Egypt and Syria launched this surprise attack on Israel on Yom Kippur, 
Uh, she's been in office four years. Your film describes a, a chaotic Israeli defense establishment at the start of the war, uh, leading to profound losses. In interviews, uh, you've described Golda, the only woman in the war room, as the only grown-up in the room. Talk about that description and what made her the adult, uh, even as experienced uh, top generals were faltering. Well, after the Six Day War, we, you know, we thought that we are the king of the Middle East. Uh, we were the, a lot of hubris um, going on around our commanders, and uh, we we didn't see. We didn't, that's why the the smoke in the movie we cannot see from one meter. We cannot see the what's ahead of us, you know. And these commanders completely collapsed. I mean, Diane was on the verge of a nervous breakdown and and what what and what i give golda as a lot of kudos is that she kept her composure she kept her cool you know and she she was the grown-up in charge she in front of those commanders in other rooms she was more of a you know basket case but she managed to 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 keep it balanced and 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 she handled it in a, I would say, more of an adult way rather than her commanders that were completely in chaos. So that was part of the narrative that we got from people who were in this war room, like uh, Emeron Mazzini, her press secretary, who told us a lot about it, and from the protocols. So we, it was important for me to bring that to the movie. Uh, you've noted that uh, when some important war room documents were declassified in recent years, which you've just talked about, uh, you were really struck with how a, a sickly, uh, cancer-riddled 75-year-old was able to lead Israel against enemies which outnumbered the Jewish state 10 to 3. Um, she was, uh, I think that one of the stories, certainly a very strong subplot throughout the film, is the cancer which um, most people did not realize was as serious as it was. So in your research, how do you conclude that Golda, the person, accomplished all of this? I am in awe for that. I mean, she never told a single person other than her assistant, Luke Dar, about her sickness. And, you know, there was a secret operation uh, sneaking her into the hospital, into Adassa Hospital, to get the radi radiology uh, treatment. Um, she told no one. And yet she smoked herself to death, drinking 5,000 coffees, uh, black coffee a day, and basically stay in composure. That was beyond me. I was, I was shocked that it happened. You go several times in the film, you, you focus on that ashtray, which has cigarette butts loaded to the top. Um, I, I gather that uh, the smoking, from your perspective, um, also represented something else. Was it the was it the gloom that surrounded those early days of the war? As I said, smoke for me is not not able to see from one meter. It's a mask. It's a mask of of people who cannot see each other, who cannot see the front, who cannot see what's happening. You know, there's so much chaos. But also, it's the hug of war, right? It's the it's the smoke that comes out of the tanks. And the smoke that they inhale that poisoning poisoning them in a way. So the the smoke from the tanks are coming is coming into the war room and coming into her lungs. 
and the sickness and the cycle of sickness uh, that probably a metaphor that I used. When she um, stepped down in 1974, her reputation was tarnished, but Israel remained strong, came out of the war. Fortunately, and you, you talked about uh, the role of Arik Sharon and the, the maps and, and, and crossing the canal. Um, how do you think Israelis viewed her legacy over these last 50 years? And now, with all of these new documents coming out, and of course, with your movie, um, you think that legacy is going to show that that she's been vindicated, even though also I hope the, so. the Agronaut Commission did vindicate her, but this 50 years have passed. I hope so. I really hope so that it, she will be vindicated in a way that she people will see more than just, you know, her blame, her faults. Um, but, you know, Israel is divided on, on, on Golda. You know, the people who really... Feel, feel that they cannot forgive her and people that say, what do you want from her? She's not the only one. So there's a big discussion in Israel. Um, so it's in the midst of it. You know, the movie it didn't come out in Israel yet. Uh, it will come out very soon. And I wonder, I'm, I'm interested uh, of how this, what it, it flares in a way. Guy, I'd like to ask you, I was uh, in my mid-20s uh, during the war, watching it unfold from New England at that time, deeply concerned about the future of the Jewish state. Uh, you talked about the generation of 73. Um, do you think that the film will uh, will impact uh, your generation as, as it watches the, a story that they can't really remember? I hope so, because we grew up with stories and narrative that um, is different than the, the movie. And I hope so it sheds a new light on Golda, on the war. Um, on yeah and my generation is really like keen of learning of knowing more so i really hope so i can just get in one one more question you use real footage from israeli tv battlefront footage israeli radio uh, uh recordings uh to intersperse with the actors themselves I, for example uh you've got footage of kissinger and footage of nixon uh, and then in the case of Kissinger, you've got an actor who's actually playing Kissinger. Uh, tell us a little bit about how that enhances the message of the film. I don't know if it's the message of the film. I just want to, I think it contributes to the authenticity of the film. You know, I grew up uh, watching Oliver Stone's film and, and I just met him in, in Jerusalem film festival. And, you know, JFK is one of my favorite films of all time. And it has a lot of uh, those uh, archive um, uh, footage within the narrative movie, you know? So um, it's a matter of style. It's a matter of, of, of choosing the story. And I thought that it will add to the scope of the movie and to the authenticity of it. Well, I just use one word uh, as a moviegoer, and the word is gripping. Now, oh. you, actually, you actually feel as if you're back in the first week, second week of October, 1973, by virtue of, of all that, not only the acting, of course, but also the, the other devices that you've used uh, to tell this story. Uh, the you. movie Golda will be in theaters on August 25th. Guy Nativ, it's been wonderful to talk to you about this meaningful and truly important film. Thank you again for being with us. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. With sincere thanks to Guy Nativ, director of Golda, for joining us, and to you for tuning in to our podcast, 
Conversations with B'nai B'rith. We hope you've enjoyed what you've heard. If you did, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and share this episode with friends, family, and others. For all of our latest content, and if you haven't already, follow or subscribe to Conversations with B'nai B'rith wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and like us on Facebook. This is your host, Dan Mary Ashen. Until next time, take care, everyone.